0: Uh, my name is Brandon, and I'm one of the directors here at Kai Alpha, and I get the awesome privilege of serving here alongside my wife. And I was doing the math. This January now marks the seventh year of me being a part of Kai Alpha. Isn't that crazy? Seven years. In 2015, I came here as a confused transfer student, walked into my first Kai Alpha meeting thinking there would be like ten students. There was hundred all worshiping Jesus, and the Lord was like, yes, this is your community. And that was just a fantastic year. Uh, the next year in 2016, I said yes to being a facilitator, and so I co-facilitated my first core group with one of my lifelong friends, Isaac. Uh, in 2017 and then 2018, I decided to do the Kylefa internship here for two years, and would highly, highly recommend. And then in 2019 and in 2020, I worked alongside Michael on his staff team, and now in 2021. To, well, 2021 to now, I get to serve as one of the directors here, which is awesome. A lot of people ask me if they think I got hired because I'm bald. <laughs> I'd like to just, you know, address this because it's been asked before. Now, I understand why you'd say this, but when Michael approached Meredith and I and asked us, I did have hair. It was not a lot of it, but, <laughs> but I did. So I just wanted to just get that out there. I don't think it's because of that. Guys, I'm really excited to continue teaching our series uh, this quarter. We're going through the book of First Peter, and First Peter is a fantastic book. Uh, we, I, I would love to have our Bible pastors actually come up right now. Uh, if you don't have a Bible tonight, you're going to totally want one. We're going to be going through a lot of First Peter. So please raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. We'd love to give it to you. Uh, if you don't even own a Bible or you left it at home, keep it, please. We don't want it back. It's our gift to you. So last week, Meredith taught from 1 Peter uh, 1 through 12, well, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, and we learned a lot about the book. We learned that Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples and that he wrote this letter to an audience of Christians that were experiencing suffering and persecution that likely none of us in our entire life will ever experience. Uh, Truly, they would think on a daily basis, I might be killed for my faith. Uh, I might actually be uh, put on a pole and burned because I love Jesus. This was the kind of suffering, this was the kind of persecution that the audience of 1 Peter was going through. And it's fascinating as we've gone through for, uh, verses 1 through 12, Peter's tone is not one of discouragement, it's actually one of encouragement. He talks about how though this life presents challenges, one day Jesus will return and bring complete redemption to this planet. He talks about how though their lives are in danger, their eternities are completely held safe with the Lord forever. now, for me as kind of like a doer type personality, i don't know if anybody in the room can relate I'm like, okay, you know, what's next? What are we doing so like this is awesome, but like now what like what do you want us to do peter you know people are people are insulting us, right My, our lives are in danger. What are we supposed to do if'm if i'm if I'm, in the, if I'm in the audience of first Peter I'm thinking these things like. Do we take a stand against this government? Do we take a stand against, like, our neighbors are speaking ill of us? Like, what are we supposed to do? And that presents our question of the night, which is how should we live in the midst of suffering and persecution? And luckily for us tonight, Peter is going to speak directly to this question. But before we answer that, let's pray. Jesus, we want to hear from you tonight. We want to hear from your word. Pray that you would use my words uh, tonight to help us to hear what Peter is saying to his audience and how the timeless principles of this letter can be applied to our lives now. God, I pray that you would speak to all of us, help us to hear what your words say. We're just hungry for you tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, get in your Bibles and let's turn very far right in your Bibles to 1 Peter there's no shame and no judgment if you want to look at the table of contents for years of my early life of following Jesus. I need the table of contents for every book of the Bible. So if you need to go there and figure out where 1 Peter is, no judgment at all. We're going to pick up where Meredith left off. We're going to be in verse 13 of chapter 1, and we're going to read through chapter 2, verse 3. So keep going to the right, past Hebrews, past James, and you'll end up at 1 Peter. This is what Peter says, starting in verse 13. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And, and so your faith and your hope are in God. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the, gra- the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's a really awesome section that Peter writes here. Uh, And I would summarize this section into kind of like three categories. Uh, I'd say the first part of Peter's letter is a call to a holy life that he gives his audience. So the first part is a call to a holy life. The next part is why we are to pursue holy lives. And then the last part is practical application of a holy life. So it's a call to a holy life, why we pursue holy lives, and then practical application of holy living. So we're going to break these down. So what are some things that come to mind when you guys think of the word holy? You probably think of like a sense of moral perfection and purity, right? Now, while holiness does encompass living a morally pure life, it does not grasp the entirety of the word holy. The Hebrew word for holy, it means to be separate or set apart. It means to be separate or set apart. Peter quotes the book of Leviticus when he says, be holy because I am holy. Uh, If you go to the book of Leviticus and you look into that book, you'll start to see that there are some things listed uh, that are holy that one would kind of tilt their head on about being holy. So Leviticus writes about tables and cups that are holy. Now, if we're reading about that and thinking, what's a morally good cup look like? What's an immoral cup look like? (laughs) What does that look like? No, we wouldn't read it that way. We would read it as this is a table and a cup that is set apart for God's unique purposes. This is to be used in a unique way for the Lord alone. So when Peter is writing to his audience and he says, you are to live a holy life, what is he saying to them? He's saying that their lives are to be lived set apart for God and for his purposes. Their lives are not to be lived for their own goals, their own pleasures, their own glory. Their lives are to be lived set apart for God and for God's purposes. When Peter writes and he says, guys, live fully sober, he's saying that in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, it's really easy to get lulled back into old ways of living that are self-centered. He's arguing for them. He's saying, don't conform to the evil desires you once had. Don't conform to them. Anything that is motivating you in any way that you're living outside of pursuing God and God's purposes, that is evil. That is to be left behind. Don't go back to that. Are you guys kind of starting to see what holy means in a different light? Now, how many of us know that in these moments of suffering and in real moments of persecution, these are some of the hardest moments in our entire lives to live a life fully devoted to Jesus, right? Right? Meredith shared last week a little bit about kind of our journey trying to purchase a home. Oh, my. Uh, For 18 months, Meredith and I have been searching, trying to buy a house here in Ellensburg. Um, And it may sound silly, uh, but to me, this was one of the hardest uh, seasons of my entire life. Uh, Truly not knowing where I'm going to live in the next couple months, being told, hey, we're going to move out here soon. You guys need to move out, Uh, not being able to up our lease at the right time thinking that the Lord might provide something and then he didn't, being told no many times, many times, many times. It's been one of the hardest seasons of life I've ever had. And if I'm being totally honest, it really challenged my holy life to the Lord, living a life set apart for God. Honestly, I've looked back on some of the things I've said and been like, wow. I'm like so surprised I said that about Jesus. Like I was really, really upset with him. Have you guys ever experienced anything in your life that really challenges and threatens to compromise a holy life to the Lord? Is there anything you're going through right now that is challenging you to live a life devoted to Jesus in every way? Peter is encouraging his audience. He's encouraging us now. We're to stand firm in a life of full devotion to God no matter our external circumstances. So that's part one, a call to a holy life. What is part two? Part two is why are we supposed to live holy lives? Like, why? So follow along with me. We'll go go to verse 17, and we'll read through 21. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Peter says some words here uh, that should really grab our attention. He says, since you call on a father, live out your time here as foreigners. In verse 14, he says, as obedient children. So children, he says, as a father, he says, you're foreigners. Guys, living a life of holiness devoted to the Lord is a very relational action. It's a very relational thing that we do. And Peter's making a very clear statement here to his audience. He's saying, guys, you belong to God. You don't belong to this world. You don't belong to its evil desires. You don't belong to your culture and its destructive values. Guys, you belong to your heavenly father. And this love that the Lord has, it goes two ways. Not only do we love him, but he deeply, deeply loves us. And he's gone above and beyond to show you just how deep that love is. In verse 18 and 19, Peter says, You know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. If you remember last week, Meredith shared about how important it is to understand culture and context when we start reading scripture. She even said it's, it's helpful to kind of time travel back. And ask, what what is it that this audience was going through? What is the context? What is the culture if we really want to truly understand what the Lord is saying? If we think about Peter and these words he said, these would have grabbed his audience's attention right away because a huge part of their culture was slavery. So back in the time of 1 Peter, it was very common if you had a significant amount of financial debt, like college, And you couldn't pay it back. What you would do is you would sell yourself into slavery. So somebody would completely own you. You'd be their property. And you would work until you could finally pay off that debt. And then after you paid off that debt, you would still be owned by them. And if you wanted to redeem your freedom again, you would have to pay your master, your owner, until you eventually received freedom or if somebody else was going to pay it for you. So when when Peter is writing here and he says, you were bought by the blood of Christ, he's literally reminding his audience the gospel truth that before Jesus, they were slaves to the devil. That their life before Jesus, it was actual slavery. They were never in true control of their lives. They were always under the power of the evil one. And he's saying now because of Jesus' death, because of his resurrection, you have been released from the slavery. You've been bought. You are now free and under God's rule. So when we ask about why we're supposed to live a holy life, why, why are we supposed to live holy lives? We live a life of holiness because of our love for our Father. It's out of reverence because of our God that we respond in this way. If we just decide to say, I'm going to live a morally good life, but it has nothing to do with God. I don't, I don't really love him. I don't want to love him back. We're just doing it for selfish intent. We just, we just want to say, yeah, I'm living morally pure. Look at this person. Like, yeah, no, no, not them. I'm doing a great job. Right? It's a very relational action, living a holy life for the Lord. So Peter has just spoken to his audience. So that in the face of suffering and persecution, they're to live holy lives. And they're called to holiness out of a love for their loving father. Now he calls them to holiness in action. So he calls them to holiness in action. So let's reread verses 13 through 16, and then we'll pick up in verse 22. He says, therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. So when Peter's talking about holiness in action, living a life of holiness, he calls for the Christians to have an alert mind. He calls for them to have obedience in their words and in their actions. Excuse me. And then he calls them to have a hunger for spiritual wisdom. So when we're talking about holiness in action, he says the Christian is to have an alert mind They're to be obedient in their words and in their actions, and then to have a hunger for spiritual wisdom. So when we talk about an alert mind, what is an alert mind? The literal wording of verse 13 is, gird the hips of your mind. Yeah, we're all confused, so I'll explain. What in the world does gird the hips of your mind mean? Well, again, context and culture matters. So in Israel, the clothing of choice at this time would have been a long garment. So it would have been like a mega shirt. So it would have been like started up here and it would have made its way all the way down. And then it would have reached the ankles. Uh, in a season of cold, there probably would have been a poncho that you were worn. But for the most part, that garment was going to be your main source of clothing. And then in a relaxed environment, such as like I'm going to the market, I'm hanging out with my family, I'm kind of having a dinner. And in a really relaxed environment, their garment would flow all the way down to their ankles. But if they were preparing for action, like going to work or they were at their job or if they were about to get to war, what they would do is they would take their garment and they'd pull it up and they'd tuck it into their belt so that they had more freedom to move. And this is the, this is the illustration that Peter's getting to when he's talking about an alert mind. It's, a, it's an awareness. It's a mind that is ready, ready for action. So when we talk about freedom from the devil's slavery, do you guys know that that doesn't mean that we're free from spiritual warfare? This is still something that we, we experience almost daily. One could argue that even following Jesus invites more spiritual warfare to one's life. In 1 Peter 5.8, he says, be alert and of sober mind. Hashtag get girded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Yeah, you can take that. Hashtag get girded so when we talk about the first step of a holy life is to have an alert mind to be aware at times of the thoughts that are entering our minds and how these thoughts are influencing us remember last mo- or uh, last quarter we talked about anchoring our thoughts making our thoughts obedient to Jesus this is what Peter's getting at have you guys noticed that all of our thoughts are not always beneficial to our relationship with the Lord There's a lot of thoughts that enter our mind that actually lead us to disobeying the Lord. This is the war that we're in. This is just the reality. We need to have minds that are alert, not relaxed and unaware, but that are girded, that are ready, that are alert for anything that might enter our minds that is not of Jesus. So Peter talks about having an alert mind. He also talks to his audience about obedience in their words and in their actions. So in verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In verse 22, he says, Love one another deeply from the heart. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He's talking about obedience. So what does obedience and action actually look like? Well, he gives some examples Verse 14, he talks about don't conform to the evil desires you had when you were living in ignorance. This is like cravings. When he's talking about like desires, this is like cravings of the flesh that aren't from Jesus. So we could talk about like sexual sin could be an example. Uh, Idolatry, wanting to worship anyone or anything outside of the the living God. Uh, Living for ourselves and not for the Lord could be one example. Another way of obedience, that we, another way that we have obedience in action is by loving people too. So verse 22, he says, love one another deeply from the heart. So how many of us know that loving people is it's more than just words? There's also actions we can take to love people. Amen? Peter's calling his audience to that. Love people. And it's crazy to me how he's saying this in their context. All that they're going through saying love each other, love your neighbors. Like that just blows my mind. So we just talked about obedience and action. What does obedience in our words look like? Well, Peter in chapter two, verse one, he lists some things of how we shouldn't be speaking. He says, rid yourselves of malice, rid yourselves of deceit, rid yourselves of hypocrisy and envy and slander. Uh, the first one, malice is really speak. I had no idea what that meant. So I had to look it up. Malice is really speaking ill will of someone. If you're speaking malice, you're speaking in a way that you actually want to hurt somebody. Like, I'm speaking something, I want to hurt you. If we're speaking deceitful words, uh, these are words with, like, ulterior motives. So, like, if I gave Nathan an affirmation, but I just wanted Nathan to like me more, I didn't actually mean what my affirmation meant, that would be words of deceitfulness. When we're talking about hypocrisy, These are words that would be contradictory of our actions. So if I'm saying something, but then I live a totally different way, that would be hypocritical. Peter's saying, don't speak that way. When he talks about words that are filled with envy, this would be words that we speak that come out of an attitude and a heart of discontentment. There was a lot of that that happened in 18 months for me. A lot of envious words. Peter's saying, don't speak that way. Then the last example he gives is one of slander. She says, do not speak slander. When we talk about this, it's really like insults and gossip. And if I can be honest, guys, I think this is one of the hardest things we have in our culture is not gossiping about other people. I think when we think about, like, speaking something that's wrong, we, we sometimes think about, like, lying and our words that are, like, lies. But I think a lot of the time how we speak about people behind their back really, really matters. Like if I'm not going to say these words to this person to their face, I probably should not say them to somebody else. This is not what we should be doing. We should be speaking truth. And I can, if I can just encourage you guys, like if you're in a conversation and you start to notice that there's gossip that start, that's being brought up, don't feel bad about saying something. Hey, I don't want to be gossiping about this person. If you guys do, I guess that's okay. But hey, I really don't feel comfortable if we're going to be gossiping about this person. We shouldn't feel bad at all about doing that. We should be speaking words of love and of truth of people, especially one another. Amen? What's crazy to me, I've said it before, but what's crazy to me is that what the audience of 1 Peter is going through is likely all of these things. Like what they're experiencing, they're, they're likely receiving words of malice, deceit, and slander toward them. People are hating them. People literally hate them for following Jesus. People are probably gossiping all the time. Can you believe these people? These these people are crazy. They're so stupid for following Jesus. Like they're probably receiving tons of these words. And Peter says to them, yet don't respond this way. Just because somebody's speaking these of you, that doesn't mean that we speak these words back. We respond to people in truth and in love. So when we're talking about obedience in our words, guys, God's people living holy lives, we don't use words that tear other people down. We don't use words that are insulting and hurtful behind other people's backs. We don't speak words that contradict our actions in our life. We don't deceive other people with words that have motives outside of love for them. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, these are the opposite of how God's people should be speaking. We should be speaking in truth and in love with the intent of uplifting people and not tearing people down. Can I ask, is there anything from this list that the Lord might highlight tonight that needs to be repented of? We should always be seeking the Lord for that. So as we kind of come to a conclusion tonight, the next thing that Peter encourages his audience to do is to seek out spiritual milk So that they may grow up in their salvation. What is Peter getting at? Well, as a baby needs milk for physical growth, so Christians need spiritual milk to grow up in their faith. Following Jesus is not a one-time commitment. It's a daily walk of obedience. And in order to walk daily in obedience with the Lord, we, we need wisdom. So how are we supposed to receive that? How can we receive spiritual wisdom? Well, I've got a list for us, I believe. The first one is just read your Bible. Just read your Bible. Try to find time every single day to get into God's Word, learn from God's Word, develop a personal relationship with the Scripture where someone's not just telling you what it means, but you're actually diving into the Word. You're actually learning every single day from God's Word. Another thing you can do is you can attend church every single week, keep coming to Chi Alpha, Keep going to CORE and keep receiving teaching on God's word. It's totally okay if you don't know everything. It's okay to be taught something. So we can go to church. We can go to CHIOP. We can go to CORE. We can apply God's word in every aspect of our life. So if we're reading the word, we're hearing about the word, but we're not applying it to our word, that there's something off, guys. We need to be applying God's word into every aspect of our life. I wrote this one down just after Ethan's announcement. But you could totally go to discipleship class. That's an awesome way to receive spiritual milk this quarter. Go to discipleship class. There's going to be so much that we talk about that is so applicable to our daily walk with Jesus. And then my personal favorite was I get to process everything in my one-on-ones. <laughs> I used to love that. I'm going to tell my, one, my facilitator every single thing I'm learning. And I'm open to their, their challenges and their growth that they might encourage me to take. So we can process all this in our, in our one-on-ones each and every week. And then the last thing is that we can share Jesus with everyone around us, right? So God's purposes, we're talking about living holy lives for the Lord. Uh, God's purposes are not for us just to soak up kind of a self-help manual and not actually do anything with it. God cares about us actually speaking his truth to the world too. He cares about other people knowing him. So we need to be open to sharing Jesus with everyone around us. Worship team, you guys can totally come on up as we officially come to a close. Uh, As we conclude tonight, I just want to ask you two simple questions. Uh, You can process this in worship. You can bring it to your God time tomorrow. You can talk about it in your one-on-one. My first question, pretty simple. What did you learn tonight about living a holy life? Did you learn something new about what it means to live separate or set apart for the Lord? Did you learn about why we live lives set apart for Jesus? It's not for us. It's about him. The second question is how will you take another step of obedience in your faith? Is the Lord calling you tonight to be more obedient in your words in your actions, maybe in some of your disciplines. Let's be thinking about those and I'll pray to close. Lord, thanks that you care about us living holy lives and thank you that you empower us by your Holy spirit to do those things. We know that without you, we couldn't do these things. And so Lord, I thank you that you uh, are going to grow these things in us. Thanks that we get an opportunity to live our lives for you in every way that we can. I pray that as we go to this time of worship, help us to process what we learn tonight, to apply them to our lives, and we do it all because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.